Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is John Gordon, author of The Power of a Positive Team. And if you want to learn how to achieve success in your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chappell, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to Build Your Network. Today we are bringing on John Gordon. John is a best-selling author, motivational coach, and motivational speaker. His books and talks have inspired readers and audiences around the entire world. His principles have been put into test by numerous Fortune 500 companies, professional and college sports teams, school districts, hospitals, and nonprofits. He's the author of 16 books, and six of those went on to become bestsellers. He's also had the privilege of working with companies like the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Atlanta Falcons, Campbell Soup, Dell, Public, Southwest Airlines, the LA Rams, the Miami Heat, the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, BB&T Bank, Clemson Football, Northwestern Mutual, Bayer, West Point Academy, and many, many more. Uh, John, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to. Just a few of the things that we cover in this episode are how he sold over a million copies of his first book um, over the course of the first three years he had it launched, why adding value is the first rule of networking, and then he also gives us the second rule. And then we figure out how he is able to work with professional sports teams like this on a regular basis basis. Uh, there's so much value packed into this episode. But first, before we get into that, as many of you know, 
I have absolutely exploded my network in the last year and a half or so just through this show, Build Your Network. I mean, I appreciate each and every single one of you for listening to the show and for helping support along the way. And there is zero chance that my network would ex- would have exploded like this if, if I didn't start this show, if I didn't start with a platform like this. I highly recommend if you're sitting out there and and uh, growing a network that's bigger than you is on your to-do list, I highly recommend starting a show, a podcast, YouTube channel, something. Um, but if you do it, do it the right way. Do what I did. Hire a coach. Have somebody that can help you through the process, somebody that's been there and done that. Um, if any of this resonates with you at all, that is something that I do. So head over to buildyournetwork.co slash coaching to apply for a spot in my coaching program. I only accept a couple people at a time because I just don't want anyone lost in the process. It's a lot of work and it's really time intensive for both of us. Um, and I'm only going to be helping 10 people total before I shut the whole thing down. It's very valuable and like I said, really time intensive, so I can't do it forever. So be sure to apply over at buildyournetwork.co slash coaching if you're serious about getting started and we will chat soon. And now here is my talk with John Gordon. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. How is everything in your part of the world? Everything's good. I'm in LA right now. So it's hard to be negative when you're in LA. You know, it's hard to complain when it's like 60, 70 degrees outside and in other places it's in the negatives. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's beautiful today. Yeah, I could think of I could think of worse worse places to be. Where in LA are you? Like uh, like the city of LA or somewhere around there? I'm in a really challenging place. It's called Santa Monica. And ah. it's, it's it's really difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a stressful place to be, really. <laughs> my, my daughter and I were just taking a walk. She's 20 years old. She's back from um, college. So we're taking a walk. We're here for pretty much about three weeks. And she's like, dad, this place is unbelievable. I said, I know it's, it's hard to be negative when we're in such a positive place right now. For real, for real. Speaks to the power of environment, of an environment, that's for sure. Well, cool, John. I know that uh, I want to be respectful of your time and of everybody listening right now. So let's go ahead and jump right in there. I usually try to build a little bit of context before we get into some of the, the bulk of the stuff. So let's start back from the beginning here. Tell us about uh, a childhood, John. What, what was it like growing up um, being you? Yeah, I grew up in Long Island, New York. And my dad was a New York City police officer. My mom worked and she was one of the working moms in the 70s. And just being raised by, you know, two hardworking, working class uh, parents. It's all I knew. We never went on vacations. We didn't take any trips. We just, you know, lived life. They were great parents. Very, I often joke, I grew up in a Jewish Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt. And so there was definitely... (laughs) Definitely some negativity, but at the same time, there was a, a lot of love. We, you know, again, I was bar mitzvahed, uh, but my Italian dad wanted he want he he pushed that to help me understand my culture, my heritage. But we never went to church or temple or anything like that. And um, okay. but the foundation of my life was pretty much sports. I would say I played sports and all the time basketball, football, baseball. Then in high school, played lacrosse, and then winded up going to Cornell University to play lacrosse, which was a huge part of my life, a big decision that really impacted my life because I went to a school where I was around all these people that came from a very you know privileged background. And I, at the same time, learned from them, their families. I, I learned about culture, about teamwork, about you know becoming a, you know, a better athlete and also a leader, I would say, at Cornell. 
Yeah. What, what were your goals for your career in high school? Like, I, the, the reason I ask that a, a lot of people that do what you do, you know, you're an author, a coach, a speaker, all these different things that you have going on. It's typically not a common career path, right? So in, in high school, what, what was, what were those goals like? That's a great question because I was at an event and someone said, how does one become a motivational speaker, right? It's like, how do you become that? And first off, I, I don't like the term motivational speaker, but it was like, how do you do that? So I think when, when I know when I was younger, I had to be in politics. My dream or my goal was to be in politics. And I saw myself as president of the United States. If you're going to go somewhere, go to the top, right? Hmm. But, and then I, I was a policy you know, science major in college. But back in high school, I just knew I wanted to do something meaningful, something with leadership. I had no idea what that was. I thought I'd go to law school. So that was definitely a path that I saw myself going on. And also, you know, looking back, I did like writing. I mean, I remember English class and I remember my one teacher, Ivan Goldfarb, who really saw something in me, but I never thought I'd be a writer as a career. Hmm. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, right. That How, how did that transition happen? Like, So you were a poli-sci major in, in college at Cornell, um, which isn't you know any any just regular college. So you you'd go to this prestigious school to play sports, major in poli-sci, and then like now motivational speaker. <laughs> Tell right. us about that 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 middle area there. Well, I would say I majored in lacrosse. I did not major policy side. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. Majored in lacrosse, and I'm I, I'm a little ashamed to say that now, but but no, I did pretty decent in school. But I graduated. I the law schools I got into, I did not want to go to. I did not do well in my LSATs, so that was 
a big deal. And I had a girlfriend at the time and I followed her to Texas because uh, you know I was in love, young and in love. And that was a big mistake because that failed miserably. So I came, <laughs> I came back home and my car actually went got on fire. It literally started to, the engine started to burn, caught on fire. And I had to leave it on the side of the road. I should have known right then that it was not going to work as I made yeah. my way. Yeah, the, the, the universe was a little opposed to it. <laughs> it was a sign, right? So then I come back, I come back and I'm waiting tables in Long Island, living with my parents and just feeling like my life is over. Like I have no future. All my good friends went to go work on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I drove down to Atlanta with a, with a friend and we just drove down to Atlanta and got an apartment and I started waiting tables down in Atlanta and was making money doing that. Then I went to Buckhead to think, you know, I got to get a bartending job so I can make some money, a real money. Because waiting tables, you, were, you didn't make much money. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'm going to be a bartender. I had no idea how to bartend, but I said, I'm going to be a bartender. And I went to Atlanta and I got a bartending job because I told the guy I knew how to do bartend. He said, hey, we have tryouts tonight. Do you want to do it? I said, yes. He said, all right, great. Have you bartended before? I said, yes. I had never bartended. But, <laughs> but I, I got a book that taught me you know, how to bartend. And it was like all these recipes. I couldn't remember a thing. I, w- I watched the movie Cocktail that, that day. Um, <laughs> Went to work and literally people were ordering things and I had no idea what to make, but I just kept on asking this guy who was working with that, hey, dad, what's, what's in this? What's in that? And he would tell me what was in it and I would just grab it and try to make it. At the end of the night, though, they said to me, you know, it's clear you have no idea how to bartend, but we love your energy, so we're going to teach you. And so that was a great lesson for me even now, and I share this with people, your energy is important. Your attitude is important because I really didn't have the skill but they saw something they liked in me and my ability to do, deal with other people in relationships. Yeah. So, I got, so I got this job, I got my master's in teaching and now I have a, a teaching degree. I'm working at this bar and I wind up owning my own bar. Shortly after that, I met one of the owners in a place nearby of a restaurant and Buckhead was changing into a very um, young hip place. So I wind up getting some investors together to buy this place. I, I don't know how I did it to this day. I was young, naive, and I just just made it happen. Yeah. And we opened up this bar, made it successful. So now I'm making, you know, about a hundred thousand a year at the age of 24 years old, owning this bar and not having to even work there. So I started a nonprofit at the time, raising money for youth focused charities. I would get all these young people that I met in Buckhead and I would get them involved in, in charity. So we, we were called the Phoenix organization, then had that going. And then I uh, ran for city council at the age of 26. So I went door to door to 7,000 houses. So I was now going to fulfill my political ambition. And I lost the election, almost won. It was a very negative campaign by the opponents. I had no idea even how it worked. And they, mm-hmm. it, came, it came at me towards the end because I guess I was polling really high. And I didn't even know I was polling high, but they started to, <laughs> started to, they started to attack. I mean, I was 26 years old. I was so naive. I raised thirty thousand dollars. I think the one who won, I think she raised like over a hundred, and they came after me with such lies and just. I was twenty six. I had no baggage, right? right. But I came after me with all these nice 
but he's really not. And all these kind of things. It was hilarious. And so I, I lost narrowly. And after that, I thought my life was over. But, you know, it was just beginning. Sometimes you have to lose a goal to find your destiny. And then, I know this is a long answer, probably than what you wanted, but it, but this is how it all leads. And then I, I go to law school for a year and a half, drop out because I have this opportunity to go work for a .com. And I'm going to make my millions and millions because this .com is just getting started. I have a ton of shares. I bring some investors together. So I leave law school to go do that. The .com crashes. At that point, my wife and I are fighting all the time. We have two small children. And finally, when my wife threatened to leave me because I was so negative, I just said, what am I born to do? Why am I here? And at that moment, that's when writing and speaking came to me. I never did it before, but I said, all right, that's, I would speak at the Phoenix organization meetings and rally people. And I enjoyed that. And I loved making a difference. And I said, what can I do as a career that does that, where I can speak and make a difference? And writing and speaking came to me. And that's what I started to do. So not to go all the way back to the beginning of this answer, but you said something, I just, it just kind of popped in my head. Why Atlanta? What like you, so you're in New York, right? What you just said. So I just decided to go get a job in Atlanta. And I was like, yeah. no, I, I understand that you decided to go get a job, but why Atlanta? also yeah. to move to Atlanta. What, 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 what sparked that? It's amazing how, how God works. I was at, I was in San Francisco and I was at a, at a no, I was, and I was actually, I went there to see some friends and then I went to a homecoming event at Cornell and I said, Hey, where should I move? I need to go somewhere. I need to have a fresh start. I need to create my life. And people said either San Fran or Atlanta and Atlanta was a young happening city. And so being that my family was on the East coast, my parents were still alive at the time. I said, all right, I'm going to, I don't want to go all the way to the West coast. I'll go to Atlanta. And that's really what started it. Huh? Interesting. So now You've lived in New York, lived in Atlanta. Now you're living in Santa Monica, sounds like. How many other places have you lived, John? And what was your favorite one? Well, I actually live in Ponte Vedra Beach full-time. Ponte Vedra Beach is where I've lived for the past um, 17 years. Okay, gotcha. So that's where we raised our children. It's where I've lived. We only started to spend more time out in Santa Monica about two years ago. We got a place out here, but we're not here full-time. I just love to come out here maybe a couple weeks at a time during the summer, spend a lot of time here winter, come out here for a few weeks. And again, it's, it's really, uh, I'm loving it because I'm getting involved in TV and movies and starting to do some really creative stuff beyond writing here. And it's amazing how many people you meet. The other night I was at a party and I met this guy who is one of the writers of Marvel. And he's been one of the creators of the storylines and the writing of a lot of the famous Marvel Marvel comic strips over the years that have become movies. Hmm. You just have a conversation with a guy like that. <laughs> right, right. That's incredible. Yeah, it's just, Pro- it, proximity is, is power, right? Yeah, it's unbelievable. The people that you're around and that you connect with. And my daughter was with me and she was meeting all these people. My wife had not come out yet because she was with fr- her friend. And so we left and we, we said like, are you kidding me? Like, where can you have these kind of conversations that we had tonight? It was so invigorating and energizing. So anyway, that's where we spend time. So I'm from New York lived in Atlanta for seven years, then moved to Jacksonville, which was five hours away. We settled in Ponte Vedra, raised our family. It's where I wrote almost all my books and then um, still there and then spent some time out here. Awesome. Nice. It just fascinates me where people live and why they go places and all that kind of stuff. So wanted to touch on that for a second, but now back into the story that you were just telling us. So a lot of things are happening, a lot of transition in your life, um, a couple of successes 
followed by a couple of failures, uh, followed by a restart and then a reboot and then back into it. And then just sitting there, finally having this ultimatum moment of my wife's telling me she's going to leave me because I just, I'm so negative all the time. I'm not accomplishing what I want to get accomplished. I dropped out of law school, moved out here, like all these things are going through your head. And then your initial reaction is like, you know what, I'm just going to start writing books. <laughs> so a lot of people think this, right? So there's a lot of people out there, especially now that try to just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start writing books. I'm going to be a speaker, a trainer, a coach, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then they do it for like six months and then they're back to tending bar again. And that's what they do for the rest of their life. What was it that separated you? Why were you able to make it happen? I don't know what separated me, but I know it drove me. And it was a purpose and a passion and a mission to inspire and encourage as many people as possible, one person at a time. It was the belief to do that what I was going to do in even 10 years to make it. I would still be doing something I loved. And I would wake up every day doing this. When I got fired from the dot-com job, because they had ran out of money, I, I made it towards the end though, which was a good thing, but I... I I, I got fired. I remember I said, I will never put my life in someone's hands again. I will never put my future and my family's future in someone's hands again. I made that decision. I opened up a Moe's Southwest Grill after this happened. Uh, second mortgage in our home, 20000 in credit cards. Really scary time. And the goal was to make enough money with that restaurant that would then allow me to write and speak. I couldn't just start writing and speaking. Mm. So I had this Moe's going, making money opening a restaurant. It, it, it barely broke even, finally turned to profit, thank God. From there, it started to have some success. I started to do some local talks around Jacksonville, small offices. I did about 80 free talks. I started to write. I started a weekly positive tip where I'd send out these uh, positive tip messages of the week. I started getting a following. Initially, it was five people, my mother, my brother, my best friend from college. <laughs> and but then started sharing it with others and it started to spread and get out there. And I think, again, I, I had content that I was sharing that people were resonating with. I, I added value. I wasn't charging for it. I didn't have a monetization strategy. I was just doing the work, making a difference. When you talk about networking the right way, I was doing everything out of value and trying to add value and trying to love and serve and care, which is my book, The Carpenter, that I, I these principles are all based on my own journey that I put into this story about loving, serving, and caring, and then exponentially growing. And then sold the restaurants in 2005. I knew it was time. I saw some signs that said, it's time. I told my wife, mm. we're selling. I got to focus on this. Sell the restaurants. Didn't know what was going to happen, but we had enough money to at least carry us for about, about a year and a half, two years. So now sold these restaurants and I'm thinking, okay, let's go. And nothing's happening. I'm not getting a lot of speaking. It's not going great. And one day I'm walking and I'm practicing gratitude. And you know, I, I was in, into meditation for a while. And then I started to pray, to be honest. And I started to pray. And the idea for the energy bus came to me and on this walk. And I wrote it in three and a half weeks. And that book came out and started to be shared uh, around from person to person. And I sent it around to some people too. I gave copies away, but also it just started to you know get out there. And now here we are, it's, it's sold about 1.7 million copies wow. and that book changed my life. It really did. Like it was, it was a book that got out there. Leaders started reading it. They started to invite me to speak. I had something I could speak on and every talk I gave, I, I would talk about the energy bus. I would talk about the principles. So I had this mm -hmm. talks were based on the book, 
the book was now getting out there. And so it was feeding each other. The talks were feeding the book. The book was feeding the talks. I think a lot of times people come out with something, they don't stick with it enough. It didn't become a bestseller for five years. Right. It took five years for it to really get out there. And so I was willing to do the work every day. I have a lot of grit. And so I'm short on talent, but long on grit. And so I, uh, I just work hard and I believe in just putting the message out there. And that's what I was willing to do. And I, yeah. went on these, I went on these tours and just shared the message everywhere. And five people in one city, 10 people in another, 20 people in another. We didn't have the social media to this day where you can build your online platform. So I was going out there grassroots style, just putting the message out there. And how, so you, you sold the restaurants 2005. When did you start the restaurants? Uh, so started them around 2001. Okay. So this is what I wanted to, to, to really hit on because, so here's what most people do. They, they go, I want to be a speaker slash coach, author, whatever. And then they just write a book, but they, there's no, there's no value there, right? Like there's nothing that they can like the book just has a bunch of stuff that's been recycled by a bunch of different people. There's no real value based on experience from like their personal life at all. You went out, like you said, did 80 free talks in the first year or whatever. And like you kept just doing stuff for free, adding value where you could see a place to add value. You're, you're building your restaurants, building your restaurants, and then adding value, adding value, doing talks, helping people out for free, doing some free coaching, I'm sure. Yes. Getting lots of free cups of coffee, I'm sure, for picking your brain. <laughs> lots of free phone calls. I'm sure you're doing all this for free. This is, this, is the, this is the part that a lot of people don't get. The thing that creates influence the most is value. Value creates influence. And people have this idea where they're just like, well, I just want to be influential. And then they just start putting out stuff. And it's like, bro, I ju- you just copied and pasted that from somebody else's stuff. Like, You need to go do some things before you just turn into this guy that people want to follow. So you, you had all this experience. You were able to sell your restaurants. You had some money saved. You had real value to offer. And then you put the book out there. And then you bring up another good point, which is you didn't just sell the book for six months and then do something different. Uh, I was reading this, this book the other day that was talking about that. And uh, they, they likened it to going to, to like... So imagine you're a, you're a playwright and you are writing up an entire play. You put the whole thing together. You get the, the, the casting director and you finally hire the actors and they come in and they audition and then they rehearse, 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 rehearse. And then you market the show and you have a bunch of people there and you have opening night and it goes really well. And then you just close it down and then do another play. Like that makes zero sense, right? You want to write out that play. You keep selling that for three, four, five, six. Some of these plays have been around for for ages, but they still sell out, right? So once I read that, it just kind of clicked with me. Like, yeah, you don't have to come up with something like as a content creator, you don't have to write a new book every three months to stay relevant. You don't have to come up with a new course every other week to stay relevant. You just put something together that's extremely valuable and you stick with it for a while. And I love, love that part of your story. Was there any time during that where you were questioned yourself on that? Of course. I questioned myself on just, would it be successful? I questioned myself on, you know, wanting to give up several times because I didn't get a good response from an audience. I wasn't a great speaker early on. So it wasn't like I had a huge impact in my speaking. And so, yeah, there was a lot of doubt, a lot of fear. And I believe I was just driven more by love than fear and more by grit and determination to just create value and add value. You know, I have to admit, I did want to be a person of value. 
And mm-hmm. that drove me to be a person of value. But I realized that my greatest value came when I was adding value to others, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. So my influence grew when I actually was out there just serving and trying to make a difference. And I did, a, as I said, a lot of free talks. And it was amazing how every one of those led to other talks. And to this day, I still do free talks. I, I know I probably get a lot of questions now, but I still do some, the, the ones that feel right, I do. Mm-hmm. When people need help, and they're facing a challenge, I will talk to people when I have time. And I will, you know, again, I, I try to make time for as many people as possible that I don't even know. And I'll just get on the phone again when it feels right. And I, I know, you know, who I'm supposed to talk to. And I still do that to this day. So it's not like, oh, now that I've made it, I'm now, you know, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. It's still part of who I am. And that's what drove me to do this. So I think that's a big part of it. But you said it best. I think people have a great idea. They do it for a little bit and then they walk away. And it's like, no, because you reached maybe 1% of the people who are going to hear the message or could benefit from it. You still have 99% that you have to take the message to. They don't even know who you are. They never heard of it. So it's like trying to sell a Coke to one person. Here you go. All right, we're trying to make it work. No, no, you have to, you want to sell Coke. You have to sell Coca-Cola to people all over the world. And that's what they did. So you have to take the one core. I always say, what's your core message? What's the core that you are here to focus on? Take the core, first go deep with the core, then go wide and take the core of that and reach as many people as possible. So my core is positivity. I know that's my core. And then the positivity is what I'm meant to take in a wide way to as many people as possible, as many people as possible. So speaking of positivity, you have a book that's coming out now called The Power of a Positive Team. Can you tell us just one or two quick takeaways that you really were trying to push with this book? And then uh, tell us where we can find it. Sure. Well, it's actually already out now. And The Power of a Positive Team just came out recently. It's, um, it's everything I've learned over the past 11 years since the energy bus has been out. So I've worked with the LA Dodgers, the LA Rams, the Miami Heat, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Atlanta Falcons, Clemson football for the past seven years, Southwest Airlines, you name it. I've worked with all these companies and and teams from corporate America, school teams, hospital teams, and sports teams. I don't think many people have actually had this array of experience across the different spectrums and Mm -hmm. and across the different industries. And working with sports teams is where you truly learn like what really works. And so in this book, I share from all these different real life examples and stories, what makes great teams great. And my goal was to help teams become more optimistic together, more positive together, not allowing negativity to sabotage the team, which is happens too, way, happens way too often. How to get a team more connected. That's really my expertise. How do you truly develop a connected team? Because a connected team becomes a committed team. So the connected you are, the more committed you will be. Doing that process, and I take you through a framework in the book, you will become a stronger team if you read it together. And you can get it at Amazon or any, any bookstore, wherever books are sold, uh, they're sold. Definitely definitely recommend going and picking up a copy of that book to be able to work with those types of teams on those kinds of levels and gather insights yourself from them. I'm sure obviously you've helped them tremendously or people would stop hiring you. (laughs) Um, But but for you also to be able to be around those types of organizations and um, just learning through observation of the different things that happen and work for those those types of people on that kind of a caliber is just completely, completely uh, invaluable. So head over to Amazon or Barnes and Noble if there's a Barnes and Noble next to you for some reason and uh, pick up a power, pick up a copy of 
power of a positive team. John, I, I want to switch the conversation a little bit here, talk a little bit about networking before we sign off, since this is the Build Your Network podcast. Um, we've touched on it a little bit throughout the uh, the show today, but I really want to spend some time digging into this because I think that you've built up a tremendous network around you. And I want to see exactly how you've been able to do that. So the question I ask to get this conversation headed in the right direction is who you know or what you know. John, which one is more important and why? I think who you know comes first and then what you know when you're there is key. But who you know, I'm a huge believer. I see it all the time that the relationships we create determine the quality of our life and our trajectory and our success. I know way too many coaches that have gotten great jobs because of their relationship with another coach. And then what they know helps them rise up the ladder in coaching. Now, if you're not very competent and not very skilled, most of the time you'll get weeded out. Sometimes you don't, and that's how we get bad leaders, bad coaches, bad CEOs, and so forth. But most of the time, if you don't know it and you don't have the insights or the wisdom to be a great leader, you you will get figured out. But I would say... Who you know comes first. Yeah, that, that's the thing right there is that you will get figured out. It, it will eventually happen. That's the thing about that's why that's why networking and hanging out with you know increasing your inner circle is, is so important because your environment is what shapes you. So you will either rise to that level or you'll get kicked out of the circle. <laughs> you know, obviously not in a formal way like a ritual or something in a, in a fraternity, but you, you will. You just won't be able to access those people for long if you don't increase your skill level or competence at some point. You'll always just be the guy that hangs around instead of the guy that's being collaborated with and partnered with. And instead of being able to add value to those people, you're always going to be an energy suck. And then when you're sucking energy all the time from people who really value their energy, they're just not going to spend time with you that much. So that exactly what you just said, the who you know comes first, but you're going to have to capitalize on those opportunities by increasing your skill sets, increasing your competence levels, and becoming better at what you do. John, we talked a little bit about adding value earlier, and it's been sprinkled throughout the conversation. And I always say that's the number one rule of networking is to add value. Add value without the expectation of receiving anything in return. That's the number one rule. If you were to come up with a number two rule for networking, like just a a tip that you would highly recommend that's going to make people listening to this better at building quality relationships, what would that tip be? Don't have an agenda. Instead, decide to love, serve, and care. And that will drive your agenda. You'll know what to do if that's your goal. And so if you love serving care, that will drive where you make a difference, where you make an impact, where you add value, how you help, and that will lead to the relationship you have. So for me, I never leave with wanting something. I just try to help people where they are, and it winds up leading to something better. And if it doesn't lead to anything, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the more you go in without an agenda, the, the better off you are. I think a lot of times people leave with an agenda and we can smell your agenda from a mile away. Hmm. And so it really has to be about the relationship first. And you've, like you said before, worked with some incredible organizations, several professional sports teams, different things like that. How were you able to get your foot in the door at those organizations? And then also not just get your foot in the door, but actually be able to work with them. And that's the key is like, I, you know, I would get called by these coaches that read my books and then I would go in and speak if I had an agenda, I'd pretty much ruin the relationship and ruin future opportunities. So I was just going there to serve and make a difference and make an impact with that coach and that team. Because 
coaches and the players, especially professional athletes, can tell if someone has an agenda. Mm-hmm. So, so by going there and just really being there to serve difference not trying to take a picture not trying to make money off them not trying to be you know buddy buddy in a, in a strange way it was really about just going and making a difference and i think because they saw that and other coaches see that they talk word spread and then more and more coaches want to bring you in so i have lived this in my life and again maybe sometimes i'd be even more i'd be more successful if i had you know more of a focus on I need to network with that person. I need to connect with that person. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think to myself, I need to be better at that. I actually think I need to be. But the way I've done it for me has worked for me in terms of just going in to, to give. And if you are talented and you have a skill set that can really make a difference when you go in that way, people will clamor to work with you because you offer a value that others can't bring. And I don't mean this arrogantly, but I know that there's no one better when it comes to working with teams and especially sports teams. It's just, I know what I'm doing. I know what they need. I know what to share. And I have that confidence when I'm going that that, that, that's what I'm here to do. And so knowing that it's like, all right, they're going to call. And if if they don't call, they're not going to benefit. I think there's some teams that could benefit right now. They haven't called. And so I'm like, all right, well, but if they call, then they're going to, they're going to benefit. So that's the way I look at it. Interesting question here for you. Uh, speaking in front of as many people as you've spoken in front of, you've obviously been giving, you've been given a lot of influence over a lot of those people. Um, what is like the most annoying approach that somebody has when they come up and talk to you at one of these events or something like that? Like just something that yeah. is just a complete turnoff that you're just like, you know what, uh, you know, next. The biggest turnoff is when they come up to you and they just, suck the energy right out of you because they're all about themselves. And it's like, literally there's 10, 20, a hundred other people waiting to talk. And this person thinks it's all about them. It's like, don't you have any awareness that there's these other people around you and you just think it's about you and your book and what you want to create and what you want to share. And I understand they feel like it's their opportunity, but I can tell that person, again, I could sense it right away that that person is not about others. And they're ultimately not going to be successful. Exactly. So if someone, if you come to me and you say, Hey, how can I help you do what you do? How can I really help? I'll send out mail. I will go to events. I will talk about this. I will share this. I don't even know what I would need, but, but if someone just said that and said, I want to serve first, you better believe it. And I have a young man that has said, has said that to me and mm-hmm. sure enough, He's been doing a lot of work. He manages my LinkedIn for me and he's been handling that. And now I'm getting some gigs that I'm giving him to do and go speak because he has put in the work. I've seen his character. I know his heart. I know he cares. I know he's not about himself. So now I want to give to him to help him on his journey because I know he's truly not about himself. Now, yes, he wanted to be, he wants to be a successful speaker, but he first came to serve first. Right, right. I, I, it's funny, you know, because I always say that as well. When we, when you're talking about that, the person, the overzealous person that's, you know, thinks it's their opportunity to, to, you know, talk or whatever. It's funny to me because that's the way that I've looked at it for a long time. But at the same time, I don't know a single person that has ever like capitalized on an opportunity because of a pitch that they did when they were standing in line to talk to somebody to like get their book signed or uh, take a picture with them at an event. Like I don't know. 
I'm just racking my brain right now. I can't think of one instance where that actually happened. So if, if that's the thing that you're looking for to be your opportunity, maybe you should try to start thinking of different ways that you can put yourself in a position to have an opportunity to actually see something happen from it instead of using the time that you could be using to connect with somebody and learn from them and just barf your pitch all over them and make it all about right. If someone came up to me and said, John, I want to give your energy bus for kids book to kids at the Boys and Girls Club. I want to give it to kids in this neighborhood that's really struggling. I'm going to buy your book and go give it to them. Would you do something like that and, and just sign them or, or help me with that? I would be on board with that in a second, in a heartbeat. Now, it would be manipulative if they were just doing that to get to me. Mm-hmm. But, but if someone actually said that, yes, let's serve together. Let's make a difference together. That's the way to do it. Well, John, we talked about so many things here and there's so many things that we could continue to talk about, but we're running out of time. So let's move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions and some quick random answers. Ready? You got it. Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I would love to be a musician. I just don't have talent, but if I could be a musician, that would of mine. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? I was just saying this the other day, definitely Abraham Lincoln. He's just one of my heroes. And I just think he'd be really cool to talk to. And I am not bound to win. I am bound to be true. I am not bound to succeed, but I am bound to live up to the light that I have. So I would say Abraham Lincoln or uh, Jesus. It's a good one. <laughs> How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? A little bit all of it. Podcasts for sure. Reading. I'm not an audiobook person, more of a I read a book uh, kind of person. So I would say reading books and podcasts. And I definitely am on social media, but I've been on way too much. So I'm trying to cut back on that and read again a little bit more. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. You know, it's always changes because sometimes I'm on the road and, well, not sometimes. I did 86 events last year. So that's what, 170 something days on the road, half the year. So if I'm on the road a lot, then it changes. When I'm home, it changes. But I know this, when I'm writing a book, I'm getting up every morning and I usually write in December. I write in the morning first thing. If I get on social media, I can't write. So I write first, then I go check my email and so forth. After that, go take a walk, practice gratitude pray, get some ideas. I come back. I write some more, usually done by noon, pick up at the end of the day, look at what I've read. I mean, what I've written, make some edits, get some fresh ideas, write those things down, wake up the next morning and start the process again. What is your go-to pump-up song? My go-to pump-up song. There's so many, but I would have to say Eye of the Tiger. But after watching Bohemian Rhapsody, I would have to say, we are the champions or we will rock you right now. What is something that you are just not very good at? I said music and I would also say, I'm not very handy. Again, my dad, New York City cop. And when I was a kid, I would try to you know, help out. He would say, get away, you're going to break something. So he called me and my brother. I remember he said, the law firm of useless and useless <laughs> growing up. <laughs> <laughs> and I still, I still, my dad died two years ago. And I still laugh about that every time I think that he called us the law firm of useless and useless. Mm, that's hilarious. That's so funny. <laughs> As we finish everything up here, John, what's one place online where we are going to be able to connect with you the most? 
just johngordon.com, J-O-N gordon.com. And Twitter and Instagram is the same, at J-O-N gordon11. There's 11 afterwards because uh, John Gordon, the guy in Minnesota who's on public radio, already got John Gordon. But I got johngordon.com, and he was so, <laughs> ma- he was so mad at that that he then just went after uh, Twitter and Instagram first. <laughs> Hey, that makes sense. You you have the you have the more valuable real estate, I would say. Um, John, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. If you want to learn more about John, pick up a copy of his book as well, Power of a Positive Team. Just head over to johngordon.com. That's J-O-N-G-O-R-D-O-N.com. And you can learn everything that you want to know about John over there. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. I had a fantastic time talking with you. Hey, thanks for having me, Travis. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds here on Build Your Network. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is a new term to you or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is or what it does or how much they are, how to find one, all those types of details, you are definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons. It's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to travischapel.com to grab that course and start today. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.